0: All right, how's it going, New Hope family? Uh, Some of you may not be connected to our church, uh, New Hope Church in Portland, Oregon, and maybe somebody sent you this podcast, and you're tuning in, and uh, welcome to you as well. Uh, This little podcast series is meant to complement a series uh, we're doing at our church, uh, and it is May 2023, if you're listening to this later, um, called The Emotions of God, And it's uh, built around a book by a scholar, a biblical scholar, uh, Dr. David Lamb called The Emotions of God. And we do things called Big Reads at our church where we ask people to read books uh, along with the series. So we got a couple hundred people reading uh, David's book, The Emotions of God, where he explores uh, seven of the primary emotions of God. So in that series, uh, we are, are are discovering that God is very emotional, and that we are created in God's image, and as image bearers, it's uh, not only appropriate, uh, but it's beautiful, and compelling, and worthy, and life giving for those of us created in God's image to be emotional ourselves. Uh, the, one of the problems we have is that uh, we often create God in our image. And so we ascribe our broken emotions to God, and that can be troublesome, to say the least. So we are arguing, and, and David is arguing, that God teaches us how to get emotional. Maybe that's a cheeky phrase, um, but how to, how to properly express our emotions in a way that will cause us uh, to flourish as humans, to uh, be more human. Uh, If you want to uh, listen to the messages, uh, maybe some of you from the New Hope community have already heard them in person or online, Uh, they are housed on our website, newhopepdx.org. And you can just click on the Emotions of God series and listen uh, to the messages. I encourage you to do so. As our team was planning this series, uh, we uh, realized that we would spend the majority of time on Sundays talking about uh, the said emotion we were covering that Sunday Uh, as it is oriented towards God. But obviously that's going to bring up a lot of questions for those of us made in God's image and how we properly bear that emotion. And there's just not a lot of time to explore that, but that's going to be the natural place people go. Uh, When we talk about uh, the anger of God and the sadness of God and the joy of God, how is that properly expressed in our human relationships? And how maybe as image bearers have we broke that and we don't express it Well, uh, so, we want to complement the series uh, by bringing some Jesus following therapists together uh, into conversation around that idea. So, that's uh, we will talk about the emotions of God a bit today, I'm sure, but uh, we'll primarily be talking about how we as image bearers uh, carry forth these emotions in a way that honors one another and honors God. So, uh, I have two friends dr ken logan and carolyn Liu. carolyn is uh, part of our new hope community and so excited to have uh, her there uh, she's a friend uh, that also just continually gives me therapy on the go you know she sees that i need it all the time um and then uh, dr logan is my professional therapist so uh i don't know I'm, stories may come out maybe you're not allowed to tell them but you know i, I give you permission you can tell them you know there's there's many so um I'm really grateful to, to both of these friends in my journey uh, to know their their brothers and sisters with us on the journey in the greater Portland area, bringing uh, the kingdom come to Portland as it is in heaven. So, uh, Ken and Carolyn, why don't you give uh, our listeners just a, a brief overview of who you are? Who wants to go first?
1: You want me to go first, Carolyn? Yeah, you go first. Okay. How does <clears throat> this... Christian deferential stuff that we do, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so I'm a clinical psychologist. I work at George Fox University and teach in their graduate program there. And uh, I do research. My specializations in trauma treatment, actually. I don't know if you guys know that or not. Um, so I work with emotions a lot in my practice and will have kind of a trauma-informed maybe perspective in what we talk about today. Uh, just to get you ready for it. Um, Married to my beautiful wife, Cherie. We've been married 25 years this year. Congrats. That's kind of a cool thing. Two boys. One is a, uh, what is he now, a sophomore in college, and the other one's going to be a freshman in college this September. So we got our hands full uh, out in Newburgh. So, yeah, I've been in um, ministry. I've been a licensed psychologist for 31 years this year, and I've got... um, Ministry experience prior to that, so I was I was a, a youth pastor and then a, an associate pastor. I don't know if you guys knew that or not either. I did not. Yeah, so I started in ministry and kind of evolved it into uh, uh, clinical psych work.
0: Yeah, great, Carolyn.
2: Well, as you said, I attend your church at New Hope with my husband. Um, We've been married 28 years, and I've been in the field um, for, I'm thinking, 25, if 1998 to this year, 25 years in the field as a licensed professional counselor. And um, during that time, I've worked in a variety of settings, everything from community mental health to private practice. Um, I started out with a specialty in children. And then ended up in medical settings, dealing with chronic pain treatment, um, private practice with lots of anxiety and depression and trauma and PTSD, and then worked at a church for 11 years. That was a respite when I got burnt out from being a therapist. And similar to Ken, I have two kids they are almost about your ages. Um, I have a senior in high school, about to enter college, and a sophomore,
0: right when you're uh, and and I forgot to mention the dubbest in this series of podcasts uh, kind of the first one in chronological order uh, I had a conversation with uh, Tristan Collins around, her book uh, that she wrote with her husband, why emotions uh, matter, and that was great. So check that out if you're coming in and this is where you're starting. I think that's that will be a worthy conversation uh, for you to listen to. So um, there'll be a little crossover here if you're listening to both, uh, but we'll we'll go in a different direction o- eventually. But I-, I asked Tristan the same question because I'm intrigued, and I don't exactly know the answer. But I, you know, when I was a, when I was a kid, you know, I, I you know I wanted to be an astronaut, then a basketball player, whatever. You have these dreams and. I mean, when you're younger, like, I want to be a therapist. Was that a thing? Or like, at what point, you know, was that college? Was the that post-college? Plan. Like, you yeah. know, I mean, that would be <laughs> odd, but I'm sure it happens, you know. But how did, how did you, did you kind of back into this role? Like, what's the story there?
2: Well, I would say that the majority of us, but Ken is probably an exception, come because we have some of our own dysfunction to work through. Oh, no, right there with you. Okay, so I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional but very Christian home and was really struggling in high school but also a very devout follower of Jesus. And so as I look to my church community to provide answers for me in – Trying to figure out what was going on and why my life wasn't making sense, I went to the church. I followed their answers, and I didn't get any relief for my symptomology. So I ended up seeing a really great therapist, and uh, so that kind of inspired me to to want to provide that for other mm. people. Mm. That's the short answer. Yeah, we can get into the dysfunction we part have a, later. A lot of similar
1: <laughs> background. Uh, my um, my journey was. Started off with me trying to get into the military, and I was training to be a pilot. Um, um, did a fair amount of that training, and then the Gulf War started, and then they shut our um, the funded program down. I was part of uh, Reserve Officer Training Corps at the university in Sacramento, and that got shut down. So it was like at the same time um, that that had happened, I'd also had a pretty powerful conversion experience coming to Christ. I came to Christ when I was, what was it, 18? I think it was about 18, and had a huge impact on me. And that kind of got me more ministry oriented, I think. Um, went on the missions field within the first year, did some crazy stuff, getting way over involved um, before I had a chance to work on myself first. So, my experience, similar to yours, of is I, I found myself getting more exhausted from the solutions that I'd been given than the problems I had coming in. <laughs> because I got busy trying to be good and doing works-based kind of faith practices and just burned out big time. And I was getting help for that burnout um, with a a therapist that really inspired me that, um, you know, I felt like God was calling me to do that work. And so my own personal work around that inspired me to get into clinical psych. Hmm.
0: That's helpful. I, uh, Carolyn will know this because She's heard me speak a fair amount, but whenever I start going at a subject, um, I think words really matter. So I like to like, okay, what does that mean? I just I love etymology and just that whole journey of how words became what they are—the Greek, the Hebrew, and the biblical text, whatever. That's fascinating to me, and and I think illuminating oftentimes. So when I started the series, I gave uh, the opening message in the series and devoted probably the first third just to the general idea of emotions. And so I, I begin to write the sermon and begin to do that thing like what are emotions? There's got to be a nice, handy, crisp definition. <laughs> I discovered that there's no definition. And you know, I think mm-hmm. it crosses mm-hmm. over in the realm of psychology and philosophy. And in both realms, they will most will readily admit there's no unified definition of, of emotions, which I, I found really fascinating. Um, And so as we start talking about that, it's like, oh, it was kind of destabilizing, because I'm like, I've got to start talking about this thing that no one knows how to define it. And yet, um, I think there are components of it or characteristics that most people can agree. But with that said, I mean, I'm sure I I would think that you have... Probably something in your mind, if somebody would ask you in an elevator, like, well, what are emotions? How would you define it? Maybe, maybe there'd be a good man on the street interview question uh, to get to. But do you have a go-to uh, definition for emotions or a metaphor, um, anything that comes right to mind and heart? Yeah, if
2: somebody asked me that on an elevator, I'd be like, I don't know. And they could go see some other therapist. I'm why are super, you asking me? <laughs> know, why, are, why are you worrying about <laughs> it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Do you, do you have a better definition? I thought your definition that you gave, the final definition that you gave on Sunday was pretty good.
1: What do you say? What do you say?
2: I, I don't remember, Well, but I, I, <laughs> I think you could find it. I thought it was a good one.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, well, what, what I did is I, 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 you know, my sermons are just too long, but I read through too many, uh, defin- I'm just fascinated by these things, too many definitions of emotion, and I kind of tried to parse it down into components, like things that I saw in all the definitions. So the ones that I that I landed on, and this is not exhaustive, but that emotions are subjective. Um, so they're kind of oriented in our personal experience. Uh, they're felt in our bodies. So there's a, I think that's interesting feelings and emotions, how mm-hmm. they might be different, but we, we feel emotions, even if we're not aware of them, they're, they're in our bodies, you know, a knot in our shoulders and our neck or whatever it might be, increased yeah. blood pressure, they're generally reactionary, so um, they're coming. They're they're spurred on by something. Maybe it's an ac- another person or activity. Somebody cuts us off on the road. Something that's lingering with us from childhood. You know, whatever. My. Uh, they're effective, or they mean that they're they're going to influence our behavior, so that we're going to live them out in some way. Uh, they're powerful. I don't think anybody's going to mm-hmm. argue that. I yeah. Think, I think they're just. And then the last one, I quoted uh, 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 Justice Potter Stevens way back when he was. He was a Supreme Court justice trying to define pornography, and he said, you know it when you see it. <laughs> so I think, mm. I think emotions, like when you're in the midst of them, and you're like, oh, that's emotions.
2: Yeah,
0: sure. Uh, so anyway, that was the best shot I had of like coming up with some components that it seemed like I saw in most of the definitions. But Ken, do you have, you want to argue with that or push yeah, back? A professor, or?
2: So no, that, that yeah, was
1: really pro- good, John. Yeah. You did a good job synthesizing the stuff that I know. Yeah. Um, you're right. I mean the whole issue around I usually focus on how we confuse emotions with feelings and mood because those are different manifestations of emotion. So what the three areas you pointed out are really critical to understanding them. Um the subjective experience, the the body's reaction to emotion mm-hmm. And then also, you know, um, the behavioral or the expressive response that we have to it. That's really important to understand because in order for folks to really do something meaningful with the emotions that they experience, we have to kind of move beyond just sort of basic the labeling of feelings um, and understand that there's something autonomic going on. There's something more core to who we are and the way we're made. Uh, That's really It's always interesting to me to think about it from – that we're made by his design and in his image. And that we're made to have, you know, there are parts of us that are like the rest of creation, but there are also parts of us that are similar to the the, the divinity. So God feeling emotion is a key component to his identity as, as being God. And then we share that in common um, with him. And so I think that's, it's really important to know the the, The autonomic reactions, the stuff you talked about with the subjective experience, Mm -hmm. um, this is happening in us before it gets to our cortex. So before you and I can engage in choices or do something right or do something wrong or whatever, there's this whole process going on that when we deny the reality of emotions, we're really denying the reality of that that experience happening. So this stuff's going through the middle part of my brain and my brainstem before it gets to my Mm -hmm. ability to even be aware of what's going on. And I think people in general, not just Christians, we have our own little version of this, I think, but humans have a hard time with that because we really need to spend time with our emotions to comprehend exactly what's going on uh, in whatever situation we're addressing. Uh, it brings meaning meaning to life in very significant ways, and if we don't have that— um, you know, I think about emotionless individuals, what that's like and what causes that, or even characters in Star Trek or something, you know, mm-hmm. think about Spock's yeah. journey, right? Um, that, that's, we're not robots. It's part of being made in his image and by his design that um, we're sharing in characteristics that, and experiences that he shares in. And so the, the, the question usually goes, does God have emotions? And I think the question should be, do we have emotions that are like God? It's not really, of course he has emotions. God has emotions. Jesus had emotions. The Holy Spirit in scriptures talked about having emotions. We, of course, are going to have emotions. So this idea of being emotionlessness as a facet of us being spiritually mature is really problematic. And so I'm really glad you're addressing this topic, John. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. let's let's Mm -hmm.
0: unpack that a little bit. Um, Tristan and I in the previous conversation talked about this a little bit as well. Uh, But as someone, you know... I'm interviewing you because I'm not a therapist. I'm not a clinician in that world. But obviously, as a pastor, (laughs) you get in the terrain of emotions a lot as it relates to discipleship. So, you know, you could define the job of a pastor in in many ways. uh, But I think one of our primary calls is to make disciples, right? To create Mm. communities and environments where people can become more like Jesus or to use Dallas Willard's phrase, to become apprentices of Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, Pete Scazzaro, if you're familiar with his, his work on emotionally healthy spirituality, church leaders, all that kind of stuff, um, I won't go back through it. I, 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 ta- I talked about that a little bit in the previous conversation, but uh, as I went through some of his stuff, I think it was eye-opening on this. this I truly believe that he's correct, and this is a, a missing link in our discipleship, uh that we you know address I think the mind a lot
2: um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: we I think increasingly increasingly got a long way to go address the body but you know as it is to physical health sometimes I hear people talk about that in a series on on got to stay in shape and gluttony and those kind of things although
2: not very much not very much I no, think it's I mostly think that, I think mind
0: it, it mostly mind um I think social. I think there, there's a good amount of attention mm-hmm. to that because we do life and community. How do we get along? Don't gossip, all that. And all that's good. I'm not arguing, obviously, we jettison any of that. I don't want to make that logical mistake. All that we should continue to do, uh, but hardly anything on emotions. Mm-hmm. And so if I, I would obviously agree with you, Ken, we're doing a series on it. Yeah, they And I've been shocked as I've gotten into the text how emotional God is and how Responsive God is to my choices and behaviors, and your choices and behaviors, and um, it's it's actually enlivened and made my journey with God more complex mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. more scary at times, to mm-hmm. be honest. Let feel a little more out of control, you know. It not you know like whoa, this seems. It's that it's that scene where uh, I think it was Lucy in in the Chronicles of Narnia is is asking Mister Beaver you know, about Aslan, who's the personification of Jesus. Is he safe? (laughs) Safe, (laughs) He's not safe, but of course he's good. Mm -hmm. He's good. And we, you know, we we talked about that in in message one as we get in this train and people who have been traumatized by by pastors misbehaving in the name of Jesus and, and all these kind of things. This is a very real thing that I know both of you deal with. Uh, in, in your work, um, and we don't want to dismiss that. And these conversations will bring some of that up, so we want to acknowledge that. But we talked about message one as we get in this terrain of these emotions, especially the ones that we may view more negatively. That God is good, and we have to keep that as a boundary marker. God is good. God is good. So, but yeah, what? Why? Why don't we talk about this mm-hmm. more? You know, and like I feel like that in the, you know, I think we, I think it's fair to say I don't want to put words on the, on the two of you, but there's a hot debate on whether we should still use the word evangelical for many reasons, but I'm mm-hmm. fine with it in its traditional use, people with the good news. and But we come from that ilk of church, I think the three mm-hmm. of us, right? That's how we're raised, those are the churches we're part of right now. I think especially in the Western kind of evangelical church culture, uh, it's exasperated even more. Uh, I can't speak for my mm-hmm. brothers and sisters mm-hmm. over a different, but when my travels in Africa and this and that, it seems like they're much more tuned with their emotions both in their gatherings and and otherwise. But yeah, that stoicism, the Scandinavian Mm -hmm. sense of God and like you're mature if you don't show it or you're tough or there's that whole Mm -hmm. aspect of like even, you know, getting into the male woman thing that like if men show their emotions, you're being feminine, you know, which is just I think ridiculous. But anyway, I'm here to interview you guys, why? (laughs) Why don't we talk about this more?
2: (laughs) Wow, I wish I knew why. Do you feel like you have a good answer for why? I feel like I have some ideas, but I wish I knew too, because it's interesting how divorced those two concepts mm-hmm. are. The idea that I'm going to bring my spirituality, or I'm going to learn about God, and somehow that's completely divorced from my emotional world, it's divorced from my the way my body's feeling, that somehow that's separate, and I don't know where that compartmentalism began. You mentioned stoicism, so... I believe that is a philosophical root of some of our beliefs on how you handle emotions. And yet we see some of our brothers and sisters and other denominations handling their emotions differently. When I was in high school, I attended an Assemblies of God church, more charismatic church. There was more open expression of hurts and wounds almost every Sunday. There was the expression of tears and lamenting and and praying uh, very demonstratively so I'm not sure why do you have any ideas Ken on why
1: yeah I think um just over the years thinking about different sermons I've heard about emotions and where we go with it I do I agree with you John it it coming from a western you know theological kind of persuasion the stoic uh, philosophies and all that I I think what I've heard many times seems like it's it's being preached not just to help us learn how to deal with emotions in a healthy way, but it's being preached as a way to counter what the culture can do sometimes with being, you know, if it feels good, do it, right? So we've kind of taken the other side to it of saying, well, no, because your beliefs and values have to guide the things that you do. And so I think, you know, I, I can see why perhaps we've kind of, neglected the topic because we're afraid if we open that jail cell up, it's all going to run amok. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, you know, so I've heard sermons that talk, for example, on, you know, don't rely on your emotions because they can lead you astray or only certain kinds of emotions are acceptable. Other kinds aren't, um, you know. Or, or the even folks who are, are open to emotion, but they'll talk about. But make sure your intellect has a higher priority above your emotional mm-hmm. experiences. So I've heard all three of those, and I've also heard the whole "if it feels good, do it." You know, from coming from the culture. So I think we've had a polarized reaction that's fueled us neglecting this topic.
2: Do you notice a difference, Ken, with your clients that are? Let's say I'm kind of in the middle. In my, I'm going to still claim 40s. I'm not quite 50. <laughs> oh. So 40s and below tend to, um, clients that I'm working with that are below that age tend to be more on the acknowledging their feelings, which can be really healthy, and incorporating those feelings in their understanding of the world and even the understanding of Scripture. And then clients that are over my age, I notice are a lot more on that stoicism continuum, like denying feelings and not being as comfortable. And they both come with their strengths and weaknesses, kind of like the dichotomy that. That you were just talking about that on one hand, with the people that can't acknowledge their emotions, their, their life is kind of stunted and their ability to process what's going on with them or work through issues is stunted because they're not welcoming that emotional input into their life. And on the other hand, sometimes my younger clients are so wrapped up in being sure that every feeling they feel at every minute is 100 percent. Uh, should be affirmed or should guide the direction in their life that they they sometimes lack the stability or the mental fortitude to move mm. through something really hard. Do you notice that pattern at all?
1: Oh yeah, the age differences right now. I think it's like I said earlier. It, if you let people out of prison, it's all going to run amok. And so, but the issue is the same. Although we're getting different manifestations, the older folks are overly defended and they mm-hmm. don't want to talk about feelings. They're great at surviving and mm-hmm. coping, but they kind of stink at healing, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe growing. The younger folks are feeling lots of mm-hmm. stuff, but they're overwhelmed and it's chaotic. And But I think both sides are looking at different ways that we've, or both generations have looked at ways that we've tried to address it. Where we're at now is everybody's very dysregulated. Mm-hmm. Everything is traumatic. Uh, resilience is kind of in the tank and, there's no grit. Everybody's just overwhelmed with emotions. Not, I shouldn't say everybody, but the majority mm-hmm. of folks. Versus, you're right. The older folks, why might we might work with? You know, they're from that generation. The pull yourself up by your bootstraps and self-made. And you no, know, I'm not going to be dependent on people. I'm going to kind of yeah. grit through this. Uh, I think the need to address the issue would address both sides, and so I'm really glad you're talking about this, John, because both sides need help they need support mm-hmm. in this because of the way the pendulum has swung mm-hmm. I think there's some misunderstandings about emotions that kind of drive this that people's that lead to people's avoidance of it and also leads to folks feeling overwhelmed by it or or um, the absence of grit like we were talking about you know that if you feel something that that means it's reality mm-hmm. I think that's a myth that we struggle with it's a if I feel it then that means it's a fact and that's not That's not to say don't feel because all your feelings are not factual, but it's also not to say feel, but don't necessarily buy into everything that you're feeling. There's a process that you need to engage in to facilitate how factual this emotion is and what does it mean and what do we do with Mm -hmm.
2: it. Does it warrant behavior? Yeah. Does Mm -hmm. it warrant
1: doing something? Um,
2: Or is it a marker saying this is what's going on? Explore this. Like God is opening up this part of your life, so explore it doesn't necessarily mean— you have to give in to everything that that feeling might indicate. Yeah.
1: So like if I feel, say I'm feeling unloved right now, does that really mean I'm unloved? And a lot of folks who are recovering and healing and growing from things are addressing that state, not from the current reality of things, but from their history. They have a hard time feeling loved by people who love them because of where they're coming from. So that's an opportunity to heal and grow. Mm-hmm. Um, um, are over- being overwhelmed by that or are denying that, whether we're coming from the older or mm-hmm. younger generation, right, um, keeps us from engaging in that process.
0: Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, so much at our church, um, we talk about that that third way, that messy middle, because it seems like most conversations tend to swing to one extreme pole mm-hmm. or another, mm-hmm. be it theological or sociological or whatever. And sometimes that's warranted. I don't want to say that, that that's not, but I think so many of the conversations are— finding kind of the messy middle where both are true in some sense, and I I hear that mm-hmm. as I'm even listening to you talk, because uh, I think I I kind of summed it up in a similar way in the first message can some affirm to your professional say the same thing. Uh,
1: I may have stole it from your sermon, I, you I don't, I, don't know. I don't
0: know, but I <laughs> I think that there is that that pulls with, um, with emotions that we either feel like we're mature, it's appropriate to press them down even though that's laughable, right? They're, they're in us and they're, they're manifesting and doing probably damaging things. But at least we present that way. Or we go, we swing to the opposite spectrum, maybe a reaction to being raised by that generation that I'm just gonna feel everything and my feelings are truth. And I think we're trying to put forth a different way of approaching emotions in this series that as followers of Jesus, in the image of a loving good God, that God who exists ontologically outside of all of us, <clears throat> gives us the proper representation and the North Star of how to properly be emotional. So we don't find that truth within our own expression of the emotion as, as beings that I, I believe are all broken uh, to some degree by sin. We find it outside of ourselves and through the power of the Holy Spirit, bring it internal and are shaped in the image of God. So it's kind of both, right? We, mm-hmm. we want, I've said this to our church, I want you to be more emotional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I heard. like
2: your term messy middle. I mm-hmm. probably don't like your term properly emotional mm-hmm. because it, it for people who need to have or be perfectionistic, to be properly emotional, you can almost get an over-striving to figure every little thing out. And while I think emotions are a great window, or like you said, Tristan used the word dashboard, which is a common metaphor and really great one to kind of say, man, something's going on with me over here. Why am I noticing an increase in anxiety or an increase of in anger? But will I ever really be able to properly 100% of the time handle that emotion uh, well I haven't yet so maybe yeah how about oh,
0: that's good properly that's good. oriented gauge for our emotions you know so, uh, how uh, like uh,
2: trying to properly trying. Out, soften well, it somehow you just want me to not say properly I'm
0: getting therapy the, in the real time here. this that's is wonderful
1: well I think it, it's helpful to separate out a couple things with that one would be the feeling or the emotion that we would Experience, But the other is, is the meaning that we might ascribe to it. That's the part that needs to be kind of sat with and figured out. So you can have the freedom to feel what you're feeling. But at the same time, you know, is, is the meaning that I'm getting from that feeling, is that real or is it true? And and a lot of the times it's amplified or it's minimized. And it, it goes the other direction. Um, I'm kind of feeling sad, for example. Let's say I said that. What does that mean? Um, What conclusions are you arriving at in response to having that emotion? Well, it means I'm being a bad Christian. Okay, that's what needs to be confronted. Not the feeling, but the meaning that you're kind of deriving from that feeling experience. This is why feeling emotions and processing emotions I think is so important in formation work. Mm -hmm. is because it points out the very things that God wants to work on in our hearts to make us more like him. I mean, to, it's like I said earlier, it's not the question, of does God feel feelings? It's the question of, do we feel feelings like God does? And that's what I think addressing that message does.
0: Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Let's. I, I didn't plan to go here, but you, you kind of open up the door. So I want to step through it, this idea of grit, because um, I really I like mm-hmm. that idea. Um, it also, to be emotional, it frustrates me. It does what I don't see to myself. I don't see it in my kids at times. I don't see it in our parishioners at times and but I think we can fall into into some dangerous caricatures of what that is as well. Mm-hmm. Um I've I don't I don't know if you know Angela Duckworth's work on grit, mm-hmm. you know, but you know, she was for listeners who don't, you can Google her name and find the story and lots about her, but she kinda of wrote one of the the more definitive popular treatments of grit. But she was a teacher, I think, in the New York City public schools and Came to see that the students who succeeded most were not the brightest uh, by just core IQ. Were not the ones who came from the best homes. That those were all components, uh, but they were the ones that tried the hardest. <laughs> basically,
2: mm-hmm. kept and going so, despite failure. Yes. Uh-huh. So she
0: just came, became compelled, yep. went to school, did her PhD in it, and so she's written a book. But I, I her, her definition of of grit, take it for what it is. Is. Uh, passion and sustained persistence applied toward long-term achievement with no particular concern for rewards. What I like about that is, um, and we may define it a million different ways, but that it has that word passion in it. Because I think what happens is, I'm I'm kind of making this up in real time, but I think this is what happens, is that the older generation, again, there's some very emotionally healthy folks that are older. So please hear that, listeners. But I think Tend to be that generation struggles more with emoting in a healthy way. They they're probably typically the more gritty, consider the more mm-hmm. gritty, mm-hmm. Uh, the greatest generation. Those kind of folks. Yep. Um, and I think that's probably true as we would measure those things. But I think that a lot of them would say that grittiness means not showing your emotions.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. And so yeah. that's
0: where I love her definition because I think we got to find a way here that no, we're not telling you not to be emotional. Be emotional, but be gritty. And like. Be tough, like be both. It can be a messy, sloppy process, but you're moving forward with, I don't know, I'm kind of, correct what I was saying, push back, but I think there's something there that that rings true for me.
2: I think the the grit that the greatest generation, which we love them and we're not trying to stereotype them. So like you said, sorry if we've put you in a box and that's not you. Um, But the uh, grit that they need to face is looking at your emotions takes a lot of grit. For that generation or for somebody who was even a different generation but was just taught that you need to stuff it, you need to have a stiff upper lip, God doesn't like it when you have emotions that are the ugly ones, quote-unquote. Those For those people, the grit that they need to have is can you sit with your emotion? And that is probably one of the grittiest, most difficult things you can do if you have been taught to stuff that emotion and that's not comfortable for you. But I agree that – and and Angela was writing more about like – I don't know about academic or career life success. We might not be talking today about how to, you know, be the most successful person in business or whatever. You might need to have some grit that we would actually say is inconsistent with being a healthy person or consistent with even what a Christ follower should look like. So she was kind of writing for a little different audience than or different goal than we're looking at today.
0: Yeah, true, but I would, uh, and I want to hear what you say too, good, but as a pastor, I would say, and again, I don't want to use broad brush, but like as the American church during COVID over the last five years, I don't know that I'd ascribe gritty to it.
2: No, we weren't very <laughs> gritty. I agree there. And so, and,
0: and I, I am not casting stones. I'm part of the leadership. I bear responsibility. So in real time, I'm constantly thinking, and and you know, of these conversations, Carol, and others who are, are around in, in, in my life. Um. Like, how do we do it better? What are we missing? Like, what are, you Mm -hmm. know, and and I don't Mm -hmm. think that that means stuff your emotions. I want more emotion, but I think we have to, I heard somebody once say we need thicker skin and softer hearts. Mm. And again, Mm -hmm. that's a, it's a, uh, it's a helpful phrase, right? I think that that represents kind of like, we need to be tough. I don't think it's going to get easier to follow Jesus faithfully and to show up faithfully. Um, But I think we need more heart. We don't need hard-heartedness, right? We need soft hearts. And
2: that fits with ego development. When you have healthy ego development, you are incredibly warm and soft and open to people because you're confident in who you are, which as Christians we know comes from a firm identity in Jesus. At the same time, we have kind of a thick skin because it doesn't matter as much the input. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter at all, but it doesn't matter as much the input that we get maybe from other sources in our life outside of our faith. But
1: Yeah, I, I think it gets to the issue of, it's. I call it differentiation, but the, the notion of resilience might f- factor into mm-hmm. this a little bit. So when I think of people who come see me, they usually come see me because they're having trouble coping with something or they're having trouble wanting, they're dealing with needing to heal from something, mm-hmm. or they're trying to grow in some way. Those are usually the three big areas that people come in. And I know when folks come in, it's like when they've been good at coping, sometimes they're not so good at healing, and that's why they're seeking out support. Mm-hmm. Or if they've been good with healing, uh, or maybe growth-oriented, sometimes they struggle with coping. Um, and so people need different things. I think of... Um, one way to put it, I think, John, would be to say if, let's say you and I are in a, uh, a battle situation, we're soldiers and we're being shot at. I don't want you healing yet. I, I don't want you growing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no feeling your I feelings you to, while you're being shot at. A, stuff them, <laughs> um, it.
1: cram it down, do whatever you gotta do, because we gotta get out of this kind of mm. thing. I want you coping. I don't want you healing and growing yet. But when we come back, and we've got whatever post-trauma effects that are there, Guess what we're going to tend to want to do? We're going to tend to want to keep coping as opposed to really, okay, let's shift into this new mode of healing now and growing. And it seems like when folks are good at one thing, they kind of struggle with the other. Um, I think the older generation, the the reason my grandparents and parents were the greatest generation is because they cope really well. Mm Mm-hmm but they kind of sucked at healing <laughs> and some of the their ability to relate was compromised and it affected parenting and it affected the way they dealt with friendships and the way they dealt with people reacting to them in certain ways there there was another dimension to kind of enter into to kind of enter that you know to deal with that and i think when you talk about grit i think what you're saying is we need to be good at coping, but we also need to be able to shift into healing and growing experiences and to face the things that we tend to want to avoid when we're mm. used to coping. Mm-hmm. And in the current generation, back to what you were saying, Carlynda, um, I think the feeling stuff that's happening now where people are, are letting themselves focus on healing and growing perhaps um, – But they don't seem to have the chutzpah to be able to manage the real work that it takes to really heal and really grow. That's the grit they're needing. It's like different kinds of grit or different kinds of resilience are are needed uh, Mm -hmm. in that process. That's what I find in my practice. Yeah. so which, it,
2: which brings you all full circle back to wisdom, which is a common theme throughout scripture, is that part of dealing with emotions and learning what, uh, what was that phrase I didn't like of yours, properly emotional? I, I Proper? forgot it.
0: I'm not going to use it anymore. Okay.
1: You traumatized me. <laughs> I'm like,
0: oh, no. I can't recall.
2: But part of being properly emotional is that wisdom piece that comes from being willing to go there when you need to go there and being willing to cope when you need to cope and being willing to do what you need to do for the situation that re- that it requires, and not just be good at one aspect of it.
1: Yeah, and I, I would want to make the point too that folks who are struggling with these things these are not these are not sin issues in terms of willfulness. These are folks who are lacking the neurological capacity to take these issues on in an effective way. Um, most likely in in my experience, and this might be because I'm a therapist, but in my experience in my office, the issue is, is because the person's in over their head and they're not, they can't do it on their own. They're needing something else to kind of support them to be able to be resilient or gritty or, or whatever. So that's the part. It's not a, you need to do better kind of response. You need to be grittier. It's more like, okay, what do we need to do to get you into a place where you can have a constructive response to what you're going through? Mm-hmm. And that's why the reason it's so important with, with formation work, I think, personally for me, is the, um that's what the body of Christ is about, and that's what transparency about how we feel about things, that's what that's about. That's about, um, you know, not... <laughs> you guys talked about... Um, uh, the whole isolation thing, for example, like with COVID, for example, we were literally mimicking symptoms of people who have complex trauma, but it was on the front end. We were telling people to isolate. So it wasn't like trauma was creating isolation. We were creating isolation that was causing trauma. It's, it's, it's a powerful impact on our nervous system. So when I said earlier, these are, these are autonomic processes I literally mean that it's, uh, it's called, um, neuroception, your, your nervous systems perceiving this before it actually gets to your cortex to comprehend what's happening. So people are, are needing, they're, they're needing support for legitimate reasons to be able to go there. Um, and the grit factor is really about, I think, our capacity to become safe and to be able to be transparent in communicating what our needs are. Um, When I I do a lot of research with Christians, um, uh, Fox, (laughs) and some of the things I've learned... One or
2: (laughs) four? Yes.
1: (laughs) There's no electric shocks involved. Um, One of the things I've noticed, there's this issue that keeps coming up in researching Christians. And even like in personality assessments and different psych tests that we give, Christians have a high, what's called social desirability index. Mm -hmm. In other words, they won't, We won't sit down and say, this is who I authentically am. We will sit down and say, this is the way God would have me respond. This is is what I'm supposed to say if I'm a good Christian. And it it makes Mm -hmm. sense because it's like, you're trying to become that. So if you say that you're that way, then maybe that's a sign you're moving in that direction. But the pressure Christians feel, especially Christians, to be perfect or to be good or to be like Christ starts off with sort of cognitive cortex decisions and willfulness, um, hoping that you're going to get there. And this is my own personal healing journey is, is uh, understanding this and kind of working through some of these issues myself. We kind of deceive ourselves into thinking that we are getting there when really we're not because we're not able to be authentic about how we're really responding to scenarios that are happening because that would communicate... I'm not a good Christian or I'm not a good person or I'm not as good as brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. It's like this, it's difficult to be honest and authentic and truthful. And I think that's what, when we talk about emotional uh, honesty, people becoming more honest with themselves about how they really feel about things, that's really what we're challenging. And so it's a much, and I got to tell you, John, one of the things I appreciate about your ministry is how you promote authenticity and model it for people. You're just honest and you're authentic and genuine and real and you're you're modeling for others what you would have them do and that's the first step it has to become safe to be real about how you're really feeling um that's why a lot of folks come see us right (laughs) because i can sneak in the back door and nobody from my church is going to see me sitting in the waiting room and i can come in and be honest with you and then you can't say anything because if you do that's illegal and you could lose your license right right um but that, Which is true. It's, it's true. It is very true. But that safety piece, I think we do need to do a better job of that. Normalizing it, modeling it, and actually saying this is the right thing to do. It's almost a it's almost a moral statement um, to shift people out of coping and into healing and growing.
0: So a couple. Let me just as we kind of I want to transition to talking about specifically some emotions of God, but let me just kind of try to summarize, tell me if I'm not getting it right. A couple things that I hear practically for folks because we got into neuroscience, which is fascinating to me as people at New Hope know and um, all that, but like, I don't, I want to make sure we kind of come out of this with some clear things. One, one I heard is like, you can't do it alone, the value of community. And I think where individualism is a, yeah. is a plague upon society the Surgeon General just this week came out about the loneliness epidemic. There's, this isn't just followers of Jesus, I don't know where he is in his faith, but it isn't just church people saying this kind of stuff. So uh, the value of like, we need that uh, as as people to hold us accountable, as people to encourage us, as people to reflect back behavior and expose blind spots, all these kind of things are vital is one thing I hear. We're not gonna be able to figure out the complexity of our own motions alone. So I heard that, I heard, um, and this came out in the interview uh, with Tristan to encourage you to go back and listen to that, but asking additional questions, being reflective, having our emotions push us into digging deeper. Why mm-hmm. am I feeling this way? Uh, why is this coming up? What's happening in my body that I don't understand? Being mm-hmm. aware of our bodies. We've mm-hmm. disembodied ourselves a lot as, as followers of Jesus and mm-hmm. reincorporating the body and kind of fighting the modern Gnosticism that's cut back into the church
2: and And when you do that to not just diagnose it that it's wrong that those emotions are coming up but that affirming that there's an emotion coming up and this is a great thing that is happening this is how my mind works as opposed to oh no an emotion's coming up I've got to figure it out and heal from it real quick so I don't have that again
0: yeah, or not not feeling shame that you're feeling that way. We you know mm-hmm. Tristan had the, the thing of like when you feel shame, have it be impetus to ask yourself what lie am I believing? And you know that kind of that, the, these kind of things. So being reflective, and then I think your word, uh, Hokma, right, the word for skillful living, of wisdom, I'm hearing that a lot of my conversations around emotions. it's way more complex than we want to make it. And there's a time and a place for different things. And there's maybe the toolbox metaphor. There's a tool that you use here or a season of life that mm-hmm. you need to, you know, for, for some, whether you're older generation or younger and you default to pushing your emotions down, being gritty for you may mean, uh, to quote, I think, Brene Brown, right, to be vulnerable is to be courageous. It may mean mm-hmm. going to therapy. I've heard that from a lot of people. Uh, so older, younger. I've heard like they were so scared to go to therapy. They mm-hmm. admit, oh, I'm messed up, or I need help. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're messed up. I'm in therapy. Well, therapy is really good. I've heard from some so many folks that have greatest generation parents or grandparents. The statement: What did you think about them? What was your relationship? And they say, Oh, they were great, and I didn't really know them. Mm-hmm. And again, not all of them. But like, if 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 you're there, that would that's what your friends and family might say about you. Your grittiness is is saying, oh, "Hey, I I need to begin to explore some of these things." I stuck down. So others that may be all feeling and have no problem with vulnerability. Um, I'm I, I, to quote a book I just finished last night that I I may get into a little bit. But Alan Noble, he's a professor of literature. Um down in Texas somewhere, really great writer. But it's a little book called uh, On Getting Out of Bed, The Burden and Gift of Living. I'd love for you guys to read to hear what you think, because you may agree or disagree. But um, he kind of argues compelling throughout sometimes. And he's very careful to say, sometimes you can't. And he's had his own challenges with mental illness and depression. So he's very real about that. Because sometimes you just got to get out of bed. (laughs) Right? Mm-hmm. That's what grit might be for, for some of you who are so caught up in our emotions. And again, always, if there's severe trauma or severe depression, please get help. And there's places that there's people they just can't get out of bed. I, I know that. But he would argue, most of the time we can. <laughs> most of the time we can do that next step. So I think it's finding, using the spirit given wisdom to say, where am I at? Uh, how can I help my community reflect where I am at? And what does it mean to move towards a more emotionally healthy life? And that's going to mean different things for. Am I hearing you correctly?
1: Yeah, totally. Okay.
2: Yeah, nice. Well, and
1: I would say, John, just real quick, you're back to the idea of community. It's not just, um, you know, are you connecting with people, although it includes that, but also are you inviting God into those places? Are you doing community with Him while you're facing whatever that emotion is? So many of us seem to be on preset to where if we feel something, it means we've got to deal with it before we can commune with Him. And and uh, we all know that's bad theology. <laughs> yeah. It's not Bible. It's not good Bible. But it's almost like it's implicitly in us. I think personally, it's residue from the fall, that oh, tendency shame. to want to hide and to do it on our own. The whole issue around self sufficiency. You know, it's it's a ploy from the enemy to keep us out of fellowship. And we have this notion that I can connect when I'm when things are good. But when I'm blowing it, or I'm doing something wrong, or there's something overwhelming happening, I've got to fix it myself before I can commune. And and that inviting God into those emotional places, I think, is key mm-hmm. to this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, uh, I some of the most godly people I know, or wh- who who I would say have we haven't talked about this phrase. I don't know how, what you think about it, but the most highest EQ or emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that term can mean many different things, but. That followed Jesus in my life, and I can. I'm sitting here thinking of them and picturing them. Um, they do have this beautiful fusion by the grace of God through the work of Jesus on the cross, and also through their own hard work, mm-hmm. that has led to this place uh, where they're exceptionally compassionate. And real and heartfelt. When you're around them, they're with you, and they love you, and they cry easily and laugh easily, and they're also tough as nails.
1: <laughs> yep, they're, they're differentiated. That's they, they are. Mean. It's like,
0: lit- it, and, and I think in our modern vernacular, like, not praise God, this isn't true. I know this is happening all over the world, but presently in our context here, none of us are going to war tomorrow, right? So that doesn't mean toughest nails like they're going to, you mm-hmm. know, just charge the enemy. Um, I think it means like they don't necessarily care what people think. <laughs> I think that's really what, social media. Yeah, we're, mm-hmm. we're just in that era that people taking pot shots. And a number of these friends that I'm thinking of are, are, are known, are well-known, and they're out there in the world. And in my private conversations with them, I'm like how do you deal with all these people saying these things about you on Twitter? They're like, yeah, <laughs> they're like, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't really mean that. Or, you know, they're just, they're differentiated, right? Their identity is so linked into the belovedness of God. They know that. Um, but they're not squashing their emotions so I think if you're listening I think the challenge you know is to where do you find yourself um, that's a prayer thing that's a that, that's a search me and know me God you know see, see if there's any offensive way in me versus we've taught our church to begin to pray do prayer of examine examine yourself at the end of a day or a night how are you feeling how are your emotions where are you falling and then what season are you in and then do it in community. Do it together. Do it with a the therapist. Do it with a spiritual director. Do it with your pastor. Do it with your family. Invite others in. Model it. It's going to be messy. It's <laughs> going to be frightening for some people. Um, but it's worthy, I think, is what we're, we're hearing. So we're gonna uh, we're actually going to take a little break here. We're going to cut this into two parts, if you're listening. It'll give you a chance to, to take a break. We're going to come back in the second part of, of this interview. And we're going to talk about a couple of the emotions of God in particular that on the surface could be troublesome uh, to hear about and we're going to dive into uh, you know brief discussions on uh, how a healthy expression of those emotions can carry in into our lives so we hope you'll you'll join us in part two of this interview we'll be right back